This is BE Talks Africa, a podcast by the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, AFCA. I'm your host, Yossi, and in this episode, we are going to be talking all about exits with Adenia, an investment firm backing companies based in Africa with seven offices across the continent. Adenia has made over 30 investments across a variety of sectors, including healthcare, hospitality, agribusiness, and information technology. Today, we're talking to Alexis Court, managing partner at Adenia based in Mauritius. Alexis was an entrepreneur in digital media and real estate for 15 years prior to joining Adenia. He holds an MBA from Harvard Business School. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to talk to you for the PE Talks Africa podcast by Africa. I'm going to jump right into it and tell you, ask you to tell us a bit about yourself, your background, what you did before joining Adenia and what you've been doing since then. Okay, thank you. Very glad to be uh, here today. Yes, I'm a managing partner at Adenia. I joined the firm um, five years ago. And prior to that, I've been an entrepreneur. Uh, mostly in the digital sector, where I uh, started uh, actually three uh, internet companies uh, that I grew and eventually sold. And uh, in 2010, uh, given that I had some you know, money to invest, I also took a second hat on top of being an entrepreneur as an investor. And I reinvested uh, uh, the proceeds of uh, my first internet company in the hospitality sector and then decided for uh, family reasons to move to Mauritius. And that's when uh, I met Antoine, the founder of Adenia, who offered me the opportunity to join the firm. At the time, uh, the fourth fund had just been raised and uh, was in charge of the, of the new investments uh, at, um, at Adenia. Great, lovely. So this podcast is all about exits and investment in Africa. And so my first question for you is, uh, why does Adenia Partners favor majority or outright ownership in portfolio companies in Africa? And what are some of the challenges that the firm has faced in acquiring majority stakes in African business? Well, lots lots to say in those two uh, questions. I think uh, first to uh, to start with the challenge because maybe it will explain you our you know investment philosophy. I think the typical Adenia transaction is uh, we acquire business from a family it has been you know in the family for a, a long time. There might be, for instance, some succession issues. The second generation uh, doesn't want to run the business. So it's usually business that has been in, in, in a family for a long time, and we acquire between uh, 51 to 100 uh, percent. And then we push, uh, you know, our value creation agenda, we push our uh, impact plan in those organizations to put it to, uh, I would say, international standards uh, to be able to exit after five or six years. And I think the, the key element of control um, is key for exits because, because we're able to sell you know, companies at the end, not to sell shares, uh, and actually to sell 100% of the business. Uh, it's much easier to, uh, 
do exit when you are in this position than when you are a minority shareholder in a given business. So tell us about Adenia's value creation strategy for portfolio companies. So just expanding on your previous answer, as you said, Adenia comes in and works with these partners to really take their businesses to the next level. So, you know, do, do you enter investments with an exit plan or a type of buyer or a specific buyer in mind? And what does a typical exit for Adenia look like? What are some of the processes that have worked well for the investment firm? Yes. Um, well, when we enter an investment, uh, it's true that uh, you know we want to make sure that we understand well the business. We have a clear plan for the uh, in terms of the management. Um, sometimes you need to hire a new CEO. You need also to develop your you know value creation plan. How you're going to create value in the portfolio companies? What are the steps that are needed? And, uh, and then also have your ESG and impact plan uh, well thought of. And when you do that, uh, you usually talk to you know, strategic players uh, to understand you know, the industry, to understand uh, how they look um, at uh, you know, acquisition opportunities. And so you shape your plan. And it's true that you think about exit very early on uh, when you actually make the investment, which doesn't mean that it's necessarily the, the buyer that you identified that will be the, the, the buyer, but at least you try to ask yourself the question of would this strategic player be uh, interested by this business or what are the criteria that this strategic buyer is going to use when it assesses uh, this opportunity in four to five years. I think we're trying to plan, plan that very well ahead. And then when you know we believe that we have achieved our value creation plan, uh, we do very structured processes to exit. I think we try to hire you know, top uh, uh, investment bank. Uh, we uh, want to make sure that you know, the, the financial information that we give is very accurate. So we also work with you know, the EY of the world to prepare them the due diligence. Uh, to make sure that we have, yes, a very competitive process uh, to attract the best buyer and also, of course, the best uh, the best price at the end. So I would say that's the that's the that's how it works uh, in terms of the of the processes uh, exit processes at Academia. In your view, you know, are there particular sectors or geographies across Africa that you find it easier to secure a successful exit? And if so, why is that? What are some of the things that you've observed as an investor that make it fairly smooth um, to exit companies in Africa? Well, I would say there is not necessarily, I think we don't think about, uh, you know, regions where it's easier. Uh, we've exited uh, recently in, you know, in Abidjan, uh, we did uh, an exit in Madagascar that is notoriously uh, a difficult country. So I think it's not in terms of uh, the country itself, the region, it's more the quality of the asset that you're selling. Uh, it's true that sometimes uh, in certain countries that are difficult, probably the business will come in the lower multiple because there will be a perceived uh, country risk that is higher in certain countries in Africa than in others. But overall, uh, I would say that it's really the quality of the asset that you're selling uh, that will 
comment the 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 price that uh, that you sell and your uh, ability to do an exit so we uh, afca publishes an industry survey um every year where we we talk to lps and gps about their perception and the perspectives on the the growth of the african private industry and some lps believe that there are limited exit opportunities in africa which makes investing in the continent challenging are these concerns that you know adinia's lps have raised and if so how do you address them or how have you addressed them and in your view how can lps you know successfully navigate this exit challenge in africa yes but um absolutely i think the um, uh, the exits uh, are possible for gps uh, um, because uh, yes you can sell companies and you can sell 100% and that's why i think an adenia strategy is the right one and we've we've done uh, historically 17 exits uh, out of 31 investments that we have uh, done in the past and i think exit is not uh, an issue when you can sell uh, a company um what is true though is that um so you're asking me what the 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 lps should do i think they should select the gps that have the right strategy and that are able to deliver on exits um after that having said that i would say it's true that i think the the exits are maybe more difficult in africa than it is in uh, europe or the us because you don't have public markets and uh um yes there are maybe only two markets public markets uh, london and, and johannesburg that could be used for exits but uh, uh, it's challenging they are not necessarily interested by i would say mid-sized companies um, so it, it's not easy because uh, the public markets are not there however you still have you know uh, uh, three routes of exits which are strategic buyers it's definitely our preferred route uh, because I think usually it's companies that can value the work that you've done and that can uh, pay uh, significant prices, at least significant multiples. Uh, and also they offer generally the best projects for the company itself. But you can also have you know, financial investors or uh, management buyouts that you organize. So I think uh, probably, yes, more challenging at the same time, um, if you're selling good companies, I think there is there will always be some uh, interested buyers. It's interesting that you mentioned the the limited availability of public markets, and that and that would lead me to something else that I was going to ask you. So you know, there was the news of the. Um, HHS towers a couple of months ago, um, and that was quite big news for the industry, but. What is your view on this issue of public markets in Africa, the, the lack of them? And do you see an do you see an IPO market developing on the continent in the in the next decade or couple of decades? Well, just uh, in terms of the challenges uh, of the IPO markets, uh, and I think it relates to the uh, IHS transactions that you were referring to. I think what is uh, uh, difficult actually for for GP when you're selling a company is to sell it uh, in the public markets because usually you can sell a very small fraction of your shares and then because it's a new IPO there is usually not uh, enough liquidity 
and uh, it's very difficult to exit at the end. So it's not because you have put a company in the market that as a GP, you will be able to exit it successfully. I think that's one that we should bear in mind when we do uh, uh, those, uh, uh, when we think about IPOs for exits. After that, I think it really relates to the question of size. Um, I think to, to interest, um, I would say, the IPO markets and to have sufficient visibility, uh, you need to uh, um, have companies that are valued, I would say, at EV of uh, at least 500 million US dollars. And then there are not that many, I would say, companies in the continent that can uh, command those type of prices uh, in the in the public markets, and that's why uh, I would say it's not uh, it's not uh, easy um, also to have you know uh, uh, those type of companies that are floated uh, in the in the public markets, which either you know in London, Johannesburg, or, or the US for IHS. Yeah, that I think that's definitely um, one of the big issues and topics for conversation in the African private equity industry, you know, how many businesses do we have that can be valued at at least uh, $500 million? And, you know, what does that mean for the whole pipeline and the industry as a whole? But let's talk a bit about um, specific investments that Adenia has made. So, and specific exit. So you sold uh, Movilac, the Mauritian paint company to Asco Nobel. Are there particular challenges or considerations involved when exiting to a global strategic buyer like them? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, I think, um, uh, and I think it, it relates to the fact that, that uh, they have very high standards, you know, in terms of ESG, and they want to make sure that, uh, for instance, they, they checked uh, every environmental aspect, making sure that uh, soil below the factory was not polluted. So the standards that they were using to assess the quality of the asset. Uh, are very high. And what is interesting actually is that, you know, we had a very clear uh, ESG and impact plan that we were able to implement during the time of the investment. And uh, we prepared extremely well uh, with some, you know, environmental reports. And uh, at the end, when, you know, they did their due diligence, they, they told us that uh, actually, uh, in uh, lots of dimensions, uh, in terms of ESG, we were at higher levels than uh, uh, a lot of the factories that they had in Europe or the US. So, uh, of course, those big strategics have very high standards, but um, they are, um, if you are well prepared and if you have done well, you know, and, and, and well implemented your plan before the exit, uh, it's not necessarily, uh, not necessarily an issue. Um, and, and, and second, uh, I think uh, strategic because they see the value of the companies. They saw they, actually, they had actually identified Mobilac as one of the companies that they wanted to buy in the continent um, because they can use it, they could use it as a beachhead to uh, distribute their products in Mauritius but also in East Africa. So they, they knew the company before uh, we decided to sell it, and uh, they were you know immediately very attracted and uh, at the end of the day you know they paid a 10 times multiple uh, in terms of EBITDA which was uh, you know uh, a good uh, a good exit uh, we we did uh, three times our money on this uh, on this investment 
and uh, and um, yes, I think um, it was uh, the best um, uh, also uh, project for the company itself. So we were very happy to uh, to exit to uh, to Exonobel. Well, that's a that's a that sounds like a really successful um investment and exit so you know nicely tied up but you mentioned esg and impact processes and in, in relation to this particular investment and exit so let's let's talk about that you know so why has the dna partners made installing this esg and impact processes in portfolio companies such a key aspect of its investments in africa tell us a bit more about that well I think we, we want to be, um, you know, initially, I think ESG and impact, well, at the time impact did not exist, it was just ESG. It was to uh, understand, you know, the risks that you were taking when you were making an investment. I think that was the main purpose of ESG at the time. And I think now what has changed is that we are much more proactive. We want to be a true agent for change. And uh, our actually majority strategy allows us to do that because we are controlling the board, so we can really push uh, the changes that we want to do. And so we developed our own framework uh, in terms of ESG and impact, and uh, gradually we we include new dimensions. Uh, for instance, you know, our uh, environment um, is, is critical, climate is critical. We, I think we were one of the first uh, GPs in Africa to do a, a carbon footprint assessment for all the portfolio companies and uh, to, to uh, define plans to see how we can reduce the carbon intensity. Uh, similarly, in gender, we uh, included you know, dimensions to make sure that there would be a fair representation uh, um, of women, uh, for instance, at the board level. Um, so I think, yeah, it's being proactive, it's being able to be a true agent for change and to regularly uh, enrich your plan uh, by including uh, new dimensions. And that's something that we do uh, uh, regularly. And I think, uh, at the end of the day, it's uh, uh, it's to do good. <laughs> and I think when you uh, invest in the continent, it's because you you want, yeah you want to make a return, but also you want to uh, do good and making sure that you are uh, uh, bringing those businesses at uh, at better at better levels uh, uh, in all dimensions. Absolutely. And, and sort of speaking about, you know, the work on, on carbon footprint measurement for all portfolio companies, I want to move on to um, your Adelia's recent investment in Herhold. So, you know, do you plan to follow up this investment with more investments in clean energy projects in line with thinking about carbon footprints and ultimately the climate change challenge? Well, I would say uh, yes and no. I think Herolds is actually a company, a very interesting companies because they are uh, they have two uh, business units, but one business is the distribution of uh, uh, renewable energy uh, products such as solar panels, batteries, inverters, and in, in SA actually it's uh, you know it's it's going extremely fast because the you know, the grid is not very reliable and is also extremely costly. So I think we are in a specific situation where, you know, it's, it's going uh, extremely well. And, uh, uh, but the market is driven by the, 
you know, by the merits in itself. So we like this business because uh, I would say the, the market forces work. And because of those market forces, um, the, 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 the consumers wants to buy those products because it's more uh, cost efficient. And at the same time, yes, you're right, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's renewable energy. I think we don't want to invest in projects where you know, it would be only reliable on subsidies to make it work. Uh, because we want to make sure that you know you're not dependent on a government policy that can change from you know one day to the next, and where your business model is put in jeopardy. So I think we are kind of careful when we analyze those businesses to make sure that it's uh, you know not an unfair competitive advantage that the company has. Uh, and if we find other uh, companies that meet those criteria, yes, of course we would be very happy to invest in those. But I think uh, more generally speaking, uh, in terms of, you know, of a carbon footprint and, uh, and uh, I think we can do that in, uh, you know, in any company. Um, and we are not shy to invest, for instance, in manufacturing companies that have, um, you know, sometimes a bad reputation in terms of, you know, emissions and, and uh, even, you know, environment pollution. Because we believe actually that we can be as a controlling shareholder, a true agent for change in those businesses and really create value. So um, it's not you know, sector specific. You can have uh, a good uh, uh, plan to reduce uh, the intensity uh, of your carbon footprint in lots of companies and not necessarily in those that are directly you know, linked to, uh, for instance, renewable energy. Yep, definitely. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, there is, I think, with thinking about carbon footprint and just climate change, it's not just about investing or backing the businesses that are specifically in the sustainability um, business, but just embedding sustainability and impact practices into every single business. So that makes a lot of sense. So let's move on a bit to general investment processes. So what are some of the common pitfalls that you've experienced as an investor in Africa and what would you I, I guess if you if a, an emerging or a new Africa focused fund manager came to you today and said hey Alexis you know I'm thinking about doing this what would you advise them oh, it's difficult to give any uh, any advice I think um well, asset selection is key. I think you really need to understand, you know, the business model of the company you're investing, uh, making sure you understand what's driving the growth and that you have the capable uh, uh, management to run the business. Um, so asset selection, I think, is, is key because if you make the wrong investments in the wrong, for instance, in a very cyclical industry, that is not uh, where the, the cycle is not going to be compatible with your fund. I think this is an issue. Um, I think the second element I would say is uh, to trust your instinct on people. I think as always, people are key, but you know, even more importantly, I would say in the continent, um, you need to have good management teams, reliable, honest, that are uh, there to have an impact, a positive impact as well. So, um, yes, you need to gather those management teams and put them uh, in the in the right business to grow it. And uh, 
Uh, it's usually judgment, so it's not uh, easy calls that uh, you make, but I think you need to trust yourself on, on your ability to have the and select the right management teams for the different businesses you invest in. I think that these are, I would say, the two things that are probably uh, the more uh, important uh, when you make an investment. I think that the price is, of course, uh, also one, but if you have a very good and growing business, then you know the multiple that you pay that entry is not necessarily an issue at exit. So uh, um, yes, I think these are, I would say the, the advice that I would uh, that I would give, and of course to have a clear plan. Um, so when you think about and making uh, the investments, uh, of course a plan is always there to change. Uh, when you do a budget the next day, you do it. Uh, the numbers are wrong, but at least it gives you the sense of directions and where you want to go. So have a clear and, and articulate and precise plan also is something that is very important to do when you make a new investment. That is really wonderful advice and hopefully any potential prospective fund managers listening will take a lot of value and wisdom from that. So linking to something that you said in this response, um, Alexis, about having a good management team. Let's talk a bit about talent in Africa. Um, it's an interesting one you know what is your view on the talent pool in africa in terms of building a management team you know <clears throat> is there adequate talent for these management positions and portfolio companies and how do you actually assess the process of recruiting the right people especially specifically in the context of african countries oh yes i um i think it's um we're spending lots of time uh, to um you know, um, talk to people that we think could be potential good managers for portfolio companies that uh, that know extremely well a sector. I think you need to spend lots of time to identify uh, good potential, uh, you know, CEOs, CFOs, so that when the uh, investment opportunity arise, you know, it can match. Can of course you can do a you know process when it's needed, but. I think having a portfolio of talent uh, that you know and where that you've been uh, in contact with, that you've been you know working on, is very important. I will give you an example. Uh, uh, we did an investment in Kenya in the supermarket space, and uh, we knew someone that I've been in you know in contact for a long time uh, that was an expert in the retail industry. So when the opportunity uh, arise. Um, and this person was, you know, uh, ex-CEO of, uh, of Carrefour in Eastern Europe. Uh, he brought his expertise to help us in the DD and he became executive chairman of the business. And at the same time, he also helped shape uh, the new management team with a, a CEO, a Kenyan CEO that uh, we identified during the due diligence uh, process that was also extremely critical in, in putting the deal together. So you need to spend, I think, lots of time uh, to talk to people to make sure that you have uh, the, the industry experts, that you have the, the talent uh, that is needed when you make uh, when you make an investment. After that, I would say, uh, generally speaking, you have the good talents. Um, there are countries where I, you know, uh, I think you know, Kenya is one where. You have lots of very well, uh, you know, uh, educated and a very large pool of talents. 
Of course, in some uh, other countries that are smaller, it might be a little bit more difficult. You also have a diaspora of, you know, uh, um, uh, um, Africans that uh, work in Europe or the US that want to come back uh, because they want to have an impact. And uh, we've seen that and we are not shy to bring people from, you know, uh, Europe or the US to Africa, back to Africa um, to uh, uh, run businesses um, if they had you know sufficient contact with the continent in the past which is sometimes also a challenge but uh, so yes I think um, it's always difficult it's always difficult to have the right match between uh, you know a, a company and, and a management team but uh, I would say that overall uh, uh, if you spend a required amount of time uh, it's something that uh, that you can uh, you can manage Thank you for that response. So uh, now, now we're trying to just to round this up and um, end the conversation, bringing it back to exit. So what is the picture for exits in Africa in the coming years? And, you know, has the pandemic had an impact on the exit process? Or do you think it's going to have an impact on the, the way that we do exits going forward? What is your view on this? Well, I would say, of course, it had an impact on exits uh, because when you are, uh, and we had actually a, a process on one exit that started uh, before the pandemic and it stopped because you cannot have potential buyers uh, travel and see the business, see the factory and then discuss with the management teams. So, of course, the pandemic had an impact and delayed exit processes. But I would say more importantly, uh, it's all it's also uh, because the pandemic had uh, you know long term effects on businesses. Is how did your business recover from the pandemic? We see from portfolio companies, you know, companies that have been heavily impacted and recovered very quickly. Actually, I would say that you know in the continent overall, I think the continent has been uh, not as drastic in terms of sanitary measures that you see in, you know, in Europe or the US. So I think it has not been as heavily impacted. However, there has been some disruption you know, in supply chains, for instance. So, uh, so it depends how the business is recovering. But if you are able to prove to a potential buyer that you have a business that went well through this crisis and that is now recovered and that has a higher level of EBITDA than before the crisis, I think you are in extremely good shape. Uh, to sell your your business great yeah i think one thing that would definitely be interesting to see is for the businesses that were impacted by the pandemic you know how how do they bounce back and you know how are their fund managers you know supporting them to bounce back so thank you very much for sharing your really interesting and insightful perspectives on the exit landscape in africa I always try to round up the podcast on a very fun note. And the question I asked all of our guests is, as an investor in Africa, what is your favorite thing about working on the continent? I touched on it actually is, uh, is, um, is people. I think uh, my first uh, uh, actually negotiation in Kenya um, I was talking to a family actually that we partnered with because we acquired a controlling stake. And I remember the, the discussion was a lot about 
my kids, my wife, uh, where I grew up, uh, they wanted to know who I was and if I was a reliable partner for them. And I remember having a very lengthy discussion about you know, personal aspects of my life, which was something that I would, I think, never have done uh, anywhere else. And I like those interactions and I like to, uh, um, yes, partner with the right people, with the families to, to grow businesses. You know, I've been an entrepreneur my, my whole life. I was, you know, telling uh, earlier about trusting your instincts. I think that is what is interesting in Africa is that it's less structures and you need to trust your judgment on people and on the partners that you're working with. I love that response. It's really, it's really, uh, I, I think definitely very reflective of the way that Africans as a people are, you know, they want to know who you are and where you come from. So I really love that response. Um, thank you very much, Alexis, for t talking to us today. It's been really exciting to listen to you and hear about the really interesting things that Adinia has been doing on the continent. Can we say, you know, what is next for Adinia? This is, it's a new year, it's 2022. What can we expect to see from Adinia this year? Well, the, the big thing for Adenia is would be the, the fifth fund that we are currently uh, raising. Uh, actually, it's doing uh, really well. And uh, I think uh, then in the next uh, month or two, we will announce the first close or fund five. Um, and it will be a sizable amount. Uh, it will be a larger fund than the fourth fund, which is, I think, a sign of trust of our LPs. And, um, you know, we've been around for now 20 years. We are one of the oldest uh, GPs in the continent. And we want to continue uh, to do control investments and uh, create value and do good at the same time. And uh, the first close uh, of our fist fund will be uh, an important milestone uh, for us. Wonderful. We look forward to uh, hearing more about the fifth fund that Adenia is raising and, yeah, seeing more good stuff in the news about Adini's investments. Thank you once again, Alexis, for joining us and uh, we hope to connect with you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about what we do at AFCA, visit our website at www.avca-africa.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to join the conversation and keep up with the latest news across the African private equity and venture capital industry.